Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. What a great time of the year it is uh, as far as football is concerned and it's great to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and today we celebrate the life of a man who played 162 games and part of his job was to stop people from kicking goals when he was playing those 162 games. I'll tell you what, he's kicked a few goals off the field. His name is Andrew Welsh and he's in the studio with me. Andrew, welcome. Thanks Pete, great to be here. Yeah, I'd, uh, I worked out pretty quickly, I wasn't that good at actually... Uh kicking the ball, so I thought I might try and turn in an art of stopping people kicking it, so it was uh, certainly a great journey. 160-odd games, 30-odd goals. What's the most memorable goal you kicked in your career? Uh, it was oh, probably my first goal. I remember it was, uh, it was my second game, I think, and Gary Moorcroft um, passed it to me. He, uh, he pretty could have kicked it himself quite easily from the boundary. He's quite uh, special in that way, but he sent it up to me about 15 metres out, and it was uh, a pretty, pretty given kick and got it through, which was great, but... Um, then there was one in a final over against Fremantle. We, ha- we hadn't beat them over there. Um, and uh, and it was close in the last quarter. And I was playing on the wing. And uh, after playing on uh, Jeff Farmer for, for quite a bit of the game and got to sneak forward. And uh, I kicked one there late in the game and put us through to the next round of the final. So that was one that... Uh, you know, stuck out as well, and as there wasn't too many, um, I can uh, I can remember those ones pretty clearly. When you kicked that first goal, did the whole team basically surround you? Because that seems to be the way that it happens now. It's it's such a memorable moment in anybody's football journey. Yeah, well, I think you know it's you know the, your first in AFL football, always big things. Your first game, but that's more you're seeing now. The you know the build up and when it's announced is like the celebration piece, and uh, you know not so much on the actual game at non game day, but. You know, your first goal is something you know you, you do you know, aspire to to achieve. And um, for myself, I'd been a backman my, pretty much my whole life. Played played in the midfield a fair bit. So um, to kick a goal at AFL level in in my first few games was was pretty exciting. And you know, and all your teammates coming over then, like I mean, it was a big side. There's you know, Lloyd, Lucas, Hurd, Johnson boys, um, Moorcroft, as I said, McCurry, Rioli. Big, big names in, in AFL footy that, you know, was a great side. To, for them all to, to run over and celebrate was uh, was something special. It was a pretty easy goal. So I think if I missed, they probably probably wouldn't have got to go the next week. <laughs> Did you have a celebration? Everybody's got to have a celebration these days. Xavier Dersman's yeah. got the archer. Uh, he didn't have anything like that, the motorbike or anything? No, nah, oh, most of the time I was just in shock that I actually kicked the goal. <laughs> By the time I waddled my way back down to the back line, the, uh, the time to celebrate was over. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk more about your, your great football career a little bit later in the program. But as I said, you've been kicking a few goals off the field. Um, things have gone very well from a business sense for you. How did you get the interest in property? Because that's where you've been very successful post-football. Yeah, I suppose with Essendon, it was, you know, we're fortuitous in a way. We've got such great, you know, you get you know, such great networks throughout the footy club with through people in coterie groups like the Essendonians um, or sponsors or board members throughout the footy club. So I was a big one in like learning from, you know, business people. I enjoyed business. It wasn't just property at the start. Um, 
I enjoyed business. So, you know, go and catch up with and have coffees with, you know, people like Mario Bison, who's the owner of Metricon Homes, or Paul Little, um, who become chairman, um, Ray Horsborough from Toll Holdings. These these people that are involved in the footy club and, um, you know, I'll just reach out to them and, you know, talk a bit of footy and just talk about their business journey in general. And property for me was uh, one that after talking, you know, to a few of them, finding what my passion was, it was property. Um, and it wasn't property in, you know, just, you know, trying to buy a house and, you know, have that as an investment. I wanted to actually, you know, do property as a business. Um, and the great greenfield growth area space was was something that, that I enjoyed, which is not in a city apartments. It's out in the... You know, the boondocks of Melbourne where it's farms and, um, you know, that's that's sort of, you know, my culture and what I enjoy being out there. So, um, you know, the progression's there. I spent some time working with some big development companies um, uh, just as work experience for free while I was playing, you know, half a day a week, a day a week. And, you know, found that, you know, it was not just one dis- – it wasn't just marketing. It wasn't just sales. It wasn't just engineering. There was a lot of factors to greenfield property development that – that interests me, um, and I found I was quite good at in identifying sites and understanding how we can maximise returns from an individual site it was just something naturally that came to me because I, I didn't do overly well at school. Um, I didn't do any university studies. Um, I just learnt from people, and that uh, eventuated into you know started a, a hire business, hiring out temporary fence and portable toilets to the construction industry while I was still playing. Um, we built that up, uh, two and a half thousand toilets we had, um, 500 kilometres of temporary fence. Um, so that was a big business, over 50 staff. So and I sold that, um, which gave me the ability to have you know, some capital to get into property in a, in a bigger way and um, brought some sites and continued to acquire um, along the way. And now it's a quite sizable business. We've had you know, great people along the way help advise with, but also join the business to help help with that growth and um and bring experienced people in um, to make sure that, you know, the opportunities I'm bringing in are, are sustainable for, for a long time. How many have you got working for you now? Uh, so direct staff would be probably just over 80. Mm. Um, our offices are just in Melbourne, in South Wharf. Um, so we have development business. So we develop residential subdivisions, so buy farms, get them through town planning, put in the infrastructure in and sell them off as finished lots. We do a commercial um, developments as well. So... Armstrong Creek is a, a project which is just between Geelong and Torquay, um, a growth area. I uh, brought a site. Um, one of the sites I brought was actually Bomber Thompson's, part of the, the um, consortium he was with down in Armstrong Creek. I brought a number of neighbouring properties, um, put that all together and then um, got Coles in there as the, the anchor tenant and that's under construction now. So that's a, you know, let's say, a 20-year project, that one for us with a, a GRV of that's close to a billion dollars. So, mm. um, again, you know, I saw an opportunity, did all the due diligence, went for it, and then I just surround myself with experts in those areas to help you know drive them to to what they need to be. Um, and then our construction side, which is build about two hundred homes a year um, in growth areas, um, have display homes around Melbourne and Bendigo and Ballarat, um, and that's uh, you know all first second home buyer, so really price point driven. Um, again, we don't build in the the inner city or the 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 middle ring. Um, it's all growth area building that, that we do with that business. I've seen a fair bit of you on the TV while I've been watching the Ashes, and uh, because I'm in provincial Victoria, I see the Bendigo ads. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, I yeah. see your ads coming up all the time. It's an interesting 
uh, juxtaposition, isn't it? Because everybody talks about the fact there are so many people coming into Melbourne and Victoria. Do you go up or do you go out? Mm. And a lot of people are electing to go out. Do you think we'll see more of the, the tree change push coming in years to come? Yeah, I, I think I, I think so. Um, you know, I find, you know, you look at those growth areas and a lot of the, the population growth is, is through migration. Um, and a lot of, you know, uh, international migration coming to Australia They've they've been living in little apartments, their shoeboxes their whole life, and they 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 yearn for a bit of space, and for them to be able to buy a block of land, put their own house on it that, you know, there's no one directly next door or directly above, and they've got a little backyard and front yard is something that 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 we see that they're aspiring to. One getting to you know the great, a great country, but then having the ability to get in and and have their own piece of Australia in in many ways is something that we see um, as a real growth point that will continue, but also, you know. Interstate migration is is huge as well because Melbourne's still very affordable, although um, in some areas it's not. It's you know, some of the highest priced real estate in the world. Um, our growth areas is still very affordable. Um, you can get into a three bedroom home for four hundred thousand dollars, brand new, um, with parks and train stations and shops and everything within sort of five minutes. So um, that that growth will continue. Um, the challenge will always be, you know, what's the mix? You can't have a CBD that's um, not vibrant um, like it was, you know, let's say 30 years ago. After five o'clock, everyone would leave. You need that vibrancy of the city and, and Melbourne. Um, but you also need to give people the opportunity in the growth areas that, you know, believe it or not, everyone doesn't want to live in the city. Mm. Um, people want space. They want to be, they don't mind travelling. They enjoy sitting in the car or on the train. Um, so they don't have to, you don't have to live in Melbourne where, um, you know, everyone talks about, oh, you I'm 40 minutes away from the CBD. Okay, well, it's a good reference point. What does it mean? You don't work in the city. Mm. You might go in the city twice a year for whatever. Um, the the amenity in these growth areas that council and government's requiring requiring are, you know, the type of amenity that you don't need to leave your area. You can stay there. It's got everything you need. Take us back to when you first started developing land. I think there was that parcel of land out Melton Way that was the, the first one that you did. It's all very well having the idea but these things cost a lot of money. So this yeah. bloke comes out of footy. You made a decent quid throughout footy, but we're talking multi-millions of dollars here. How did you convince people to get on your side and that this was the right way to go? Yeah, that's that's that was, to be honest, one of the most challenging pieces. Um, so my father had been in construction industry for a long time, very smart man in the in the development space as well. Um, you know, myself, people were aware of my background of being football um, that, um, you know, hadn't, had the track record and full experience of, um, you know, not just developing three houses in a townhouse development, but this is our first permit we got and the first piece of land was about 1,400 houses. Um, there was a couple of schools in there, a retail centre. Um, so what what we had to do, the, the growth in the value of the purchase was getting it rezoned from rural employment to residential. Um, so it was a long process, took four years to do that. Um, it was identified to be zone residential in 2026. Um, if, if that was the case, we couldn't hold it for that period of time. We would have lost our money. Um, but we spent a lot of money with expert consultants and planning and, and working with government and local council to bring that time frame forward. Um, and we ended up bringing it forward close to 10 years, um, which in turn opened up a lot of already zoned residential land in the area. So knew once we had that area rezoned and the 1,400 lots were approved, that if I'd gone through and optioned up a number of other farms, 30-acre farms through that area, that once this is rezoned, they all fall straight into the back of that from a service. So you know, by the time that was 
first piece was done, it sort of opened up another, let's say, 2,000 lots um, on the back of that that I'd gone through and optioned up waiting for this to sort of fall into place. So, um, And then, you know, it was just finding, you know, great lending partners along the way. We've used two for the whole time, a, a local group called Banner Asset Management just in, in Collins Street um, and also OCP Asia, who are a Hong Kong, Singapore-based fund. Um, and they funded us into through Thornhill Park and into five other projects now, including the Armstrong Creek Town Centre. So um, for us, it's about finding the right partners um, who saw our vision um, and initially backed us in to actually be able to deliver um, and now continue to support us as the business has grown. You spoke very clearly, Andrew, about that first goal. Gary Moorcroft gets it to you, you kick the first goal. From the other sense, from your work life sense now, was there one moment early on where you thought this is a pivotal moment, this is where I've arrived and then we can take it forward from here? I think I think getting the you know having the government call me um, and say we're putting out a press release your area your farm has just been rezoned to residential um, was one of those moments that I'd for the four years through planning I was wondering how I would feel um, whether I'd run around in excitement or you know how would I react but I was I was it was just relieved because um, you know when you say you're all in we're all in we're all in so. Um, you know, we put a lot of money into the property, a lot of money in to get it rezoned, but that was only the start of the hard work. So it was a relief to go, okay, we've got something we can deal with now. Now we actually have to make it happen. Um, so there was relief, but, uh, you know, unfortunately I didn't have 20 teammates or to run around and, you know, <laughs> jump on your back and smack mm. you around the head. It was just, okay, tick, now we move on to the next stage. But um, it was cer- certainly relieved. The fact that you came from a football environment at the top level do you think that helped you in business oh absolutely so you know like and I, I get asked this I do um, a lot of talks with businesses and try and you know correlate between you know football life and football and team experience into business and I think um, you know the ability to make decisions under pressure um, is something you learn from a football environment which you, you take into the business every you know you could make you know, I'm making decisions that could lose or make hundreds of thousands of dollars every day um, and being able to think through those decisions and not get over by the amounts, but just like logically and systematically just work through what needs to happen and how we can achieve whatever's needed. Um, you know, the ability to, you know, work as a team in the property space is something that's um, really, I've found really important uh, because, you know, although I'm you know, one of the owners of the business, I'll sit in a meeting, I've got expert engineers, I've got expert planners, marketing people, salespeople, landscape architects. You need to understand what makes each of them tick. Um, and they are experts, so allow them to be experts. Don't try and push them into what you want them to be or what you think they should be. Get their opinion, get, get their view, and then take it and make sure you can demonstrate back to them how you want it done and how you need it to be. To, to be achieved um, because we can, we have a, a project control group meeting and there'd be, you know, 20 people um, who are all reporting into myself or a development manager around project updates um, <clears throat> that you need to be inclusive in those type of arenas, um, which is what you need to do, you know, within a, a footy club or sports in, 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 arena as well. So there are some, you know, big key overlaps that I've seen, um, but still, you know, we're a big business. Uh, we have a, a lot of debt. Um, as projects continue to go, you, 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 you raise debt, you pay it back, it continues. I still have never felt the, uh, the pressure in the business world like I did when I was playing AFL footy. Um, 
the pressure of AFL footy is immense. Um, and, you know, just because it's your personal performance, you're out on show every time you, you train, every time you play, um, everything you eat, every footpath you walk down, people are looking or it feels like they're looking. Um, we're businesses, a high-pressure environment, um, but I think we're ha- I'm handling it relatively well just because I lived through 10 years of, of AFL um, pressure, uh, which has held us in good stead. And we'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. But last question for this break, what's harder, wrangling all of those people in business or wrangling the three kids that you've got at oh, home? Oh, three kids, absolutely. <laughs> and, and one of them can't even crawl yet. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's certainly a, a good challenge ahead. All right, time to talk footy when we come back on the other side of the break. Andrew Welsh is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and we'll have Andrew's story continue after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Great to have Andrew Welsh as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. All right, let's talk football. Let's talk about the start of the footy journey. When did you fall in love with taking a Sharon around and having a kick? Yeah, well, I was, uh, I was young, like, like you know, most kids. Um, so I was probably six or seven when I started playing footy competitively at Sunbury Lions. Um, loved footy up until... And I was, I was a passionate um, football lover. I was a passionate Collingwood supporter. Um, Played a, a lot of my, my juniors at, at the Sunbury Lions, um, where footy was everything. Um, and, uh, you know, more than school, more than anything, just finish school, straight home, play with my mates out in the street. Then, you know, until dark, go in, have have dinner, bed, up, school, back, footy again. Mm. Um, even in cricket season, I'm not a big cricket fan. Um, even cricket, I'd be playing footy. I'd be kicking the footy and running around the court and um, kicking the footy over the neighbour's fence and, them cracking it with me and having to find out ways I can get the ball back without actually having to knock on their door. So um, it was uh, certainly a passion when I was a kid and one that grew um, throughout my teenage years. Speaking of Sunbury, last week when I was coming back from the Brisbane game, I drove through Sunbury yeah. to get to my place and the footy was on and it was madness. Yeah, There were cars everywhere. There were people everywhere. The ground was packed. It just gave me an insight into the importance of suburban and country footy to the psyche of people. It's still very much a part of their lives. Yeah, it is. Um, Clark Oval there. It's, um, yeah, it's a great grand. Sunbury Lions such a big club. It had its problems, you know, a number of years back um, at a senior level. But from a junior level, it's been strong for a long time. And now back at a senior level, it's a really strong, strong club. But, you know, I played a few games this year. Made of mine coaches up at Echuca United. Um, so I played a couple of games like just just for just to find that love of footy back. You know, I didn't didn't want any money. I just wanted to go and play footy and you know play with a good bunch of guys up there. So, and you see what how important it is for you know communities like that. Um, you know they have the netball involved, they have the football involved. The seniors get there and help out with the juniors. You know they help run the the seniors who are playing that day run the the water for the juniors in the morning. You know they're they're helping out in the canteen. They got to play footy in a couple of hours, but they're working in the canteen. Um, so it's you know it's more than just a game for these for these areas. Um, you know it is it's a you know, for many of them it's it's their life. Um, they're there during the week fixing up things around the club and you know and it's all volunteer. No one no one gets paid um, except for the you know, the, the players um, or most of them anyway. But um, it is a, and that's you know and that's that's sort of that you know 
dovetailed end of love of footy. You know, I loved it when I was a kid. Um, then sort of, you know, fell out of love with it for quite a few years and um, did it, you know, played footy, loved the Essendon Footy Club, but footy itself sort of it changed for you. Um, and then now, in, you know, in, in recent years with doing some work with, with Channel 7 and then playing this this year, a few games up with Echuca, that, that, that love of footy's back um, because it does, you draw back to these regional type areas and you look at what footy actually means again and it, it reopens your eyes and, and, and gets you look back at, at footy as a fun a fun game. Um and not a job like it, it did for a, a number of years. We'll touch on that a little bit later on. How'd you go this year? Did you get a kick? I didn't. I didn't get too many, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, look, I, I did a ride. I was, you know, I was, I was the oldest by sort of five or six years. Um, you know, they're a great team. Um, you know, a lot of local guys. Um, I was really the only traveller um, that come up for games. So um, finished second on the ladder, uh, which was you know pretty good, pretty exciting, but. Um, the old body just wasn't holding up for me. I had problem after problem, and um, but then we uh, unfortunately bowed out of the finals last week. So grand finals on this week, um, which uh, I'll, I'll go up and watch. But uh, yeah, we um, yeah bowed out, but it was great fun. I had a ball. Family come up, and you know kids would run around during the game and meet other kids, and you know give what they give out the uh, the awards at the end of the day, and kids are screaming and running around and. Yeah, but everyone's just having a laugh, having a beer, and just hang around for an hour, and and off you go. So again, it's just that 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 love of what footy really is was was coming back. I've spent a bit of time with Adam Cooney in the commentary box this yeah, year, and he's yeah. talking about running around and having a kick, but he's also talking about the fact, oh my hamstrings, oh yeah, yeah, were they the things that really felt? <laughs> oh, it? I was, yeah, I was every, I was like my calves, um, muscles in my body that I've never felt before that were pulling up sore. Um, yeah, but it was for me. It was the uh, it's probably the extra ten kilos of weight that I'm I'm running around with when uh, post uh, post footy that put the extra stress on the the body. Not just the old age. It was I think it's the extra ten kilos that's uh, putting the real strain on the body. Was it always going to be Essendon, or did if you're captain of a TRC Cup Premiership team, you're obviously going to attract attention from other people as well. Did um, anyone else look as though they were going to be in the equation? Uh, so I spoke with. Um, I spoke with every club except for Fremantle and Western Bulldogs. Um, and Essendon, I hadn't had a direct interview with. Um, but I'd, I'd watch on a Friday afternoon. I'd go and watch Essendon Grammar play because um, I was going to school at Essendon Killor. Um, and I'd see Adrian Dodoro there a lot, who was the head of recruiting. Um, I knew Mark Harvey um, through through family ties as well. So I didn't have a direct interview with them, or but they, they were aware of me. Um, but I thought... You know, at the time, more interest was coming from Port Adelaide. So I was sort of, you know, loving to go anywhere. But I was thinking, you know, all the indicators for me and what the conversations were that were different from other clubs was, was more pointing towards Port Adelaide. But when it come through, it was Essendon. You know, I didn't have to move home, didn't have to, you know, move anywhere or do anything. It was literally, I was living in East Keelor. It was uh, 10 minutes up the road and just all fell into place for me uh, perfectly well. Do you think about what might have been, given the fact that it could have been Port Adelaide and just a couple of short years later, there they were holding the cup up? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, So Essendon played 2000, they won the premiership. They played 2001 grand final. Mm. I was drafted at the end of 2001. So uh, as a powerhouse club at the time, Essendon was it. Um, and and the fact that I, you know, I, was, I lived close, I'd go and watch them train. I knew every player just from watching them train. Um I would have gone at pick 500 if there was five just to go to Essendon um, just because, you know, I, I felt like it was it was where I was meant to be um, just for a lot of those things that, that mentioned. But, um, 
you know, I wasn't too upset that Frio never spoke to me because that was one out of all that I just, for some reason, I just didn't want to go to Fremantle. So, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, extremely glad that I ended up where I did. So you walk into Windy Hill, and often guests on this program talk about walking into the locker room for the first time and seeing the names that they're used to seeing on television, the big stars of the game. But there's one bloke there in particular, Sheets. Yeah. What was that like from the moment that you met him? How did you get on? How did you bond with Sheets? Yeah, so I first met Sheeds, we, uh, so I was there for the first week. The first weekend, we had a beach session uh, session down at Torquay. Um, Sheeds hadn't been in the training at that, that point. Um, and I remember we were doing all, like, running on the beach with medicine balls and you know, sprints up hills and, like, pretty taxing stuff. I was 70-odd kilos and, um, you know, I could run, but running on sand's a, a different game. Um, and I... Uh, and Sheeds was the last person I was thinking of at that time. To be honest, I was just thinking about how I can keep up with this senior group of players. And but I saw him start. I saw him, and I was starting to walk down the beach, and and he started walking towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if he knows who I am, or is he going to come up? Newman and exactly who I was, and you know, told me I've got a lot of work to do. I'm too skinny. You know, I need to put on some weight if I'm going to be able to compete with you know the guys that were beside me, which were the two Johnsons at, at that time standing beside me, and. Um, and he goes, but I think we, we can make something out of it. You've got the right attitude, but do you, you, you look like a little skinny runt. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, I was just happy that he knew my name. <laughs> um, but he was, yeah, he was yeah, fantastic for my career. And, um, and I'm glad that I, you know, I got to, uh, he got to coach me when he was at the more positive end of his career because I've heard some stories, you know, when he was coaching early days and you know, pretty, pretty tough and brutal times um, with training and, and so forth. So I was glad that he, he'd, uh, sort of foreseen where the, the younger generation was going around uh, positive enforcement. And, uh, and he, was, uh, you know, he was fantastic for the, you know, the time I was there or he was there for them, um, together. Andrew Welsh is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You mentioned that it was a great era just before you got there, the flag in 2000, grand final in 2001. There were some finals coming uh, in subsequent years, but did you feel as though the club was just a little bit on the downhill slide at that stage? Yeah, you know, I think we, uh, I think we, we we lost a couple of those premiership players. Um, uh, Solomon, he went to uh, Fremantle, Carousella, went to Collingwood. I think it was Justin Blumfield went to Richmond, um, and there was a few others that started, you know, departing to other clubs. And you look at the the younger group coming through um, out of my draft, out of the six or seven in my draft a few years later, I was the only one still there, um, and I was the last pick out of that draft. So it was sort of four or five that had gone in already a few-year period. The draft before me, um, uh, Teddy Richards was there. He was playing regular footy, but outside of that, there wasn't anyone playing really regular footy. So there's probably two or three years of lean pickings from a, a junior crop coming through. Um, and the older players who'd been champions of the game were just getting older. Mm. Um, so we did feel that there was you know, there was challenges ahead. But when you're in playing, you always think you're a chance. Um but you know, looking at on reflection now, there was certain certainly some gaps there um, that was reflective in in our performance. Um, and then ultimately, in your attitude of you, you want to do everything, you want to train train the best, you want to play. You always think you're a chance. But um, you know, there were some great sides in in that era that we just really weren't even competitive with. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there was you know the champions were coming towards an end, and then the younger younger crew were starting to come through but there was that middle age gap that we were sort of missing and that can be a bit of pill to swallow for a a club as big as Essendon which has been at the top of the tree not that long ago 
can be hard when you go through a season. I think one of the seasons you were there, there were three wins. So it's just, it's such a foreign feeling to a big club to go through that. Yeah, and you know, the club's demanding, supporters are demanding, and, 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 and rightly so. And, you know, it, through those times, you, you go out and try and you, you give everything and, you know, you try and find different ways to inspire yourself, inspire your team. Um, but it, it does get, it does get tough. Um, and, you know, the more games you aren't winning, you know, the greater scrutiny come comes. And this is where this, you know, I suppose re- resilience and, and high pressure environment um, of AFL really does creep up on you. Um, and really tough at the time, but um, you know, there's lots of things through those periods. I'm sure that are helping me now in in the real world um, around dealing with a lot of those times where you know the side wasn't going great. Um, we're under pressure. Coaches were under pressure. Senior players were under pressure. You know, middle-aged players were under pressure for not fulfilling you know what their true talent should be. So, um, but you know, we didn't have that much social media around those days. So I could imagine you know, how much more magnified it is now for the, the players playing in the current environment. Perfect time to take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about as your career was getting to an end. But uh, there were a couple of other careers. You mentioned one of them, a boundary rider for Channel 7. Yep. And there was also the bright lights, the grease paint, <laughs> also beckoned for a while. We'll talk to Andrew Welsh about that when we come back on the other side of the break. On This Is Your Sporting Life. Hope you're enjoying it. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Andrew Welsh on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Andrew, we're talking about the time at Essendon. It's getting towards a close, but it was coming to a close at a very early age for you. Why did you retire so early? I had a pretty significant uh, ankle injury um, a couple of years before I retired. I broke and dislocated. It was just causing ongoing issues that I uh, found myself more time on the exercise bike and actually on the footy field and I had a new contract offered to me. I was only 28. I went away at the end of the season. I had other business interests going. And I'd seen other players, unfortunately, sort of come to the end of their careers and sort of just fade away. Um, where for me, the footy club, I, I love the footy club. Um, and, you know, the young players coming through, I didn't want to take up a spot on the list where I wasn't truly passionate about being there and playing football because I just couldn't do it physically. Um, so I spoke with uh, Sean Wellman, a couple of his assistant, um, who spoke to me a few times just about you know sticking at it. Um, but when I spoke, you know, really around you know the real issues around why I wanted to to finish up and um, you know and the opportunities I wanted to give to other young players like I had and not clog up a spot on the list. Um, you know, himself and Hurdy, you know, resonated with that, and although they you know they weren't happy with it um, and tried to <laughs> convince me out of it uh, quite a few times. Um, at the end of the day, I, I pretty much um, told him, I think it was on a Wednesday and press conference on the Thursday and I cleaned out my locker and, and I was off. I was off into the real world and trying to, uh, you know, trying to get into that next chapter, which I'd been preparing for, but um, now I didn't want to hang around and, and, and dwell or, you know, try and get um, you know, any time about me. I was, footy club's been great. This is a decision I made. Now into the next phase of my life, or within a couple of days. So, by the sound of it, it was a, a fairly easy transition for you to make, and one that you were looking forward to, because so many of the boys, when they come towards the end of their career, they sort of think, "Well, what happens now?" And it's a big wrench away from something that you've done almost every day for fifteen years. Yeah, it's huge, and and 
you know, I, I felt like I I did it relatively well in in regards to you know I just had to get focused on new new adventures and um, and go after new business pursuits, which is what I was doing, and find new interests. But it's still you know it still wasn't easy um, because you miss that you know the walk into a footy club and you know your teammates bag you and have a laugh and you know you don't get that the structure around that. Um, so you need other things to fulfil those. Um, those feelings, and for me, you know, you've gone like find new friend networks or join different clubs just to try and meet new people and and grow. Because as a footballer, you get this real um, sort of shield around you that uh, any function you go to, any time you go to the shopping centre, you you feel like everyone is looking at you or wants it. They're, and they're they're not most of the times, but you get this. You know, someone comes up to you and wants to have a conversation. And you you shut down immediately because they're like, why are they talking to me? What do they want? What are they trying to get out of me? So you don't really engage with people that much, mm-hmm. um, which is when I finished footy, I wanted to get rid of that. Um, and I wanted to you know get back to you know being open to meeting new people and um, and getting out there and seeing, seeing what the world had to offer. You mentioned Hurdy, Andrew, the transition from being a teammate to being your coach the last year that you played there. What was that like for you to have someone who you were so close with on the football field to be all of a sudden sitting in a completely different role? Yeah. Oh, look, it was great. I obviously I was good mates with Hurdy when we were playing. Um, part of my you know, business journey, I spent a, a day a week working with his company, Gemba, um, while I was playing. And um, so for Hurdy to come back for me was fantastic. It was, okay, how does this feel? Is he going to be you know, a different person because he's coach now? He's different responsibilities. How's he going to be able to... You know, not just myself, but you know, guys like Mark McVeigh and these who played a lot of footy together and were really close friends. How can he, you know, you know, still be the same person, demand the same things from us, um, but but not be you know, you know, a totally different person? And I think with just the respect that James gets from people and the way that he talks to people, he didn't need to be different um, because he he would say what he want, how he needed it done, and and we brought into him, we're, we're away. Um, so it was certainly, you know, you found it was, he was more of a, um, a senior leadership role for the, the, the people that he played with because he was as much trying to get um, our ideas and, and get our views on things to help him form his overall view um, rather than, you know, a, a, dictate, a dictatorship in many ways that he's coming in, he's putting his foot down, he's doing it this. He was very inclusive in his approach. And, um, and I... You know, I I was going to stay on just for, for you know take up the contract purely just to you know stick the path with him um, because he is a brilliant coach. Um, unfortunately, we just didn't get to see the um, the full extent of that. But his his knowledge of the game, his personal skills, the way that he can get out of his mind strategy around football and actually get everyone to understand it. Um, because you've got a lot of great coaches out there that are tactically brilliant and they've got it in their mind and they can put it into a onto a computer but they can't actually talk and inspire a group of men or women to follow a plan because they can't articulate um what the plan is specifically and brendan mccartney was one that um he was a teacher as well i think that uh brilliant football mind but brilliant at actually being able to get it out of his mind so everyone in the team understood what he was trying to do um and that was very similar with hurdy as well do you think he's lost to the game after everything that he's been through? And we talked about mental pressures earlier in the show. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, he went through some terrible times. Mm. Do you think he'll get back to the game one day? I, th- I think he will. I think he will. Um, 
he's got a, a um, he's a personality that he's he does things you know full on, um, and that's you know, why he was a champion player because he did everything you know and and didn't leave anything you know behind and you know he's seen that with his business world and and what he's doing out there in the business world and keeping his focus on that which is I think is good for him from an overall um, health and and well being perspective but you know he he loves footy um, he, he he loves footy he'd he'd um, He'd be frustrated with um, probably a lot of the the football environment um, for the time that he endured. Um, so he'd be frustrated with that, but he, he loves footy. Um, and I think that's what will bring him back, uh, his love for footy. And then, you know, the, the people involved with footy and, you know, fall back in love with, with that. I, I, I think he will. I think he will. As a man who proudly wore the red and black for so long, more than 160 games, how much did it impact on you how much did it hurt you that not long after you left the football club mm. that all of that happened it was pretty much the next month uh, so I retired in October and um, the, the whole program started um, in in November uh, so I, I remember through those times you know I, I still talk to players and you know so how's how's the new training program going and what they were doing and um, to be honest it, that, I never questioned it in any way because it had been signed off and everyone had said, you yeah, know, this is all fine. And for me, it's the evolution of, of sport is, is the way I was looking at it. And Did yeah. any of the boys ever say to you in a private conversation, and feel free not to answer the question if yeah. you don't want to, but did any of them say, I don't know about this? No, I think it, there was some that then they, and they've been public about it and didn't want to um, be involved in, in the program. Um, but but others that I spoke to were like, yeah, well, we're, you know, we're, this program we're doing now and we have to do this, this and this along the way. And it's different. You sort of, you do look at it from a and go, well, Ed, it, it's strange. Um, but is that, is that evolution? Is that how you've, you know, you're really getting the most, it's all legal. It's all, everything's been ticked off is what the players were told. So I take the view as if, you know, if, if my club is saying this, this is fine. Um, it is going to, you know, we're, we're spending a lot more here in the football program to give you the ability to maximise your training and it's all legal and it's all fine. I would be there at the front of the line um, because because that's what you want to do for your footy club. Um, but the minute it goes to it's illegal, well, that, that, that mentality changes. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the players um, were um, done wrong in the way that they have the same view. If it's 100% if it's legal, although I don't like injections or whatever, I don't like doing it, but it's legal and it's going to help help me, help the football club, then I'll do it. But the minute it turned, okay, this we're not sure about this, is when for me the, the players, um, not the club, the players were, were, were let down. Well, hopefully they can put a full stop on it. We'll put a full stop on it here because we've got one break to go and I did allude to it before. I want to come back and I want to find out about this whole acting thing. That I thought you... I got away from that. No, no, no. No, no I don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about that when we come yeah. back on the other side of the break. Our final segment with Andrew Welsh on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Andrew Welsh on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, we've talked about your footy career, we've talked about your business career. 
Could have been talking about the fact that you're an Emmy winner or an Oscar winner. <laughs> what, what was going on with the acting bug in you? Oh, look, I um, I really thought I was I was a chance of winning one of those awards, <laughs> um, which shows how bad of an actor I was. But I think I, it was probably, it was more a vehicle to be able to go and live overseas for a period of time. I I got a scholarship to a really good acting school um, after doing some doing some auditions here, and for some reason they thought I was pretty good at it. Um, so I went, went to New York for, I was over there for about six months um, and then did the uh, the acting courses and worked through everything. But um, yeah, I didn't, you know, my businesses were running back here. Um, we were sort of pretty keen to get back to Australia and um, it all sort of wound up pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, it was, a, it was one of those things that uh, probably broke off a lot of those, you know, fabrications around, you know, just allowing yourself to be normal and talking to people again and building new networks. We didn't know anyone over there when we, when we moved over. So we had to meet a, a lot of new people, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd hate to pull out some of the footage of some of the, uh, the acting classes that I did because uh, I'd be pretty ashamed, I reckon. And, and I think now if the, the people taking the course who thought I was okay, look back, they'd probably think the same. Now uh, we've had a very enjoyable chat for the last 45 minutes or so. So I've got to ask you the hard question now. Were you more Brad Pitt or were you more Jim Carrey? <laughs> no, I was uh, definitely Brad Pitt. Like, uh, have a look at me. No. Uh, you're a good-looking no, rooster. I was, like, I was a, a little like the bottom of Brad Pitt's shoes, I reckon. That was about as close to Brad Pitt as I got. All right. Now, okay, so you've had this acting experience. You had a very famous acting coach, I think, while you were over there at one stage. Did that stand you in good stead to join the exclusive Boundary Riders Club, of which I might add I'm a member from many years ago. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, look, when I come back, um, there was an opportunity to go on a, a show called um, oh, Celebrity Diving or I can't Splash. Remember. Splash, Celebrity Splash. That's right. Um, and I was like, no, 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 I'm scared of heights. I don't like doing anything that's acrobatic. And um, But you know, the pay was quite attractive. So I, I took that up and um, made a fool of myself. Um but for some reason it resonated and uh, people thought, oh, this gig doesn't take himself too serious, this guy. And, and then, uh, yeah, and then started, you know, the association with Channel 7 and doing the boundary riding and ended up doing that for six or seven years. Um, and I, I loved it. Like it was enough footy for me. Uh, a game or two games a week was all, that. that's all I needed from a, a footy fix. Um, and it was back to a sort of team environment, um, working with the other commentators or, or the, you know, the team off camera. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. Um, but, you know, as life continues to grow, we had a third child this year and work's busy and you know, and, and and things change. So it's, um, you know, it's something, a period I look back and go, Gee, I was lucky, very lucky to be asked to, to do that. Um, but I hope that, uh, you know, that, that, that the people at Channel 7 thought I did the, the job that they wanted through that time. Just one last thing, Andrew, uh, and it is a serious question. You have spoken about your success after football. There's a lot of talk these days about the young fellas coming up through the game and footballers, they're the only thing in their life and some of them sit at home playing video games. If you could get one of the younger brigade there and sit him down and point to what you've been able to do, what would you tell him? I speak to a lot of young young players about actually get uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, they can be uncomfortable in a football environment because they can train harder, they can run faster, they can lift extra weights and they're uncomfortable doing it, but they've, they're comfortable doing it. They're not comfortable with talking to people at coterie functions or building their networks or because they're thinking, what are these people after? Why don't they don't want to talk to me? Why will I go over and talk to them? Well, you need to get comfortable doing that because 
football clubs have got fantastic people around that are, are wanting to help. I was never going to finish football and go and go to uni. It wasn't in me. I was going to go and go into business. So I talked about don't don't shy away from functions and stick to your mates. Go and talk to people. Go and go and learn how to uh, in, interact with different people at different ages with different backgrounds and um, because it becomes quite enjoyable. Well, the young boy from Sunbury all those years ago has done it pretty well. Um, property developer, footballer, boundary rider, and a bit of acting thrown in there. Actor. Yeah. Been a pleasure to sit down and talk oh, with you, you for the last hour. Andrew Welsh joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives at this great time of the year. We'll have another great of the game coming up same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.